G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You're going to hear some amazing things, not only about Christians, but about the broader, wider Australian community. And you might have your own way of affirming or even disagreeing with some of the things that we'll talk about, but we're going to talk about some great research. In fact, turning our attention to how the Christian church is faring in Australia with up-to-date insights based on decades of comparative reflection. Now, while we're all waiting for the biggest snapshot that comes with the National Church Life Survey, some results due later this year, another important survey is shedding light on aspects of faith in broader Australia. Well, results from last year's Australian Community Survey are out, tracking the views of the wider Australian community on religious, spiritual and social issues. The survey sought responses around 60 questions and, importantly, will be able to be compared to the National Church Life Survey findings that are due out a little later this year. Our absolute privilege today to welcome Dr Ruth Powell. Ruth is Director of the National Church Life Survey in Australia, NCLS Research. Ruth, welcome back to 2020. Oh, thanks for having me again. Really looking forward to our conversation today. So, Ruth, this is not the big one, as in the National Church Life Survey. This is a smaller one, but it's one you've continued to do over the past five years since the last National Church Life Survey. So this is something that gives you an annual update on the detail that comes out with the big one every five years. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it goes back further than that. Everybody, well, lots of people have heard of our National Church Life Survey But we've always been committed not to just looking inside the church because otherwise that can be a little bit of navel-gazing, as sometimes you can say. And since we started doing our research for churches, it's always been really critical for us to listen to the wider community because the purpose of building healthy churches in Australia is to be part of God's mission and to connect with the wider community. Yeah, so our Australian Community Survey, actually we started in the 1990s, was the first time we did this. And uh, what I decided more recently, though, was that things are changing so quickly that we thought, let's do it every year and take time every year to do this annual snapshot of like doing a national poll of all Australians, like the, like the papers do on different issues, like different research companies do. But what we focus on is the spiritual and religious profile of Australians. What seems to me to be so, so valuable about a conversation that we're having today, but comparing the attitudes of church attenders, which we might think are relatively unchanging when it comes to those really strong foundations of a biblical Christian faith, but comparing Mm. those to the 
wider community, which, as you say, it's changing pretty fast. So things are looking a lot more stark than they ever have with some differences, Ruth. Well, they certainly are. And yet I guess it'll be interesting as we have our chat this morning and perhaps as as the listeners think about uh, what, what we describe, it's a little bit, is this a glass half full or glass half empty? People may be surprised with some of the results we hear in terms of how many Australians actually say they believe in God, how many Australians pray, how many say they've had like a supernatural or like a experience, you know? And people will hear and think, oh, that's low, that's disappointing. I suspect that others will be surprised how high it is because the message we often hear is certainly there's been a disconnect from churches, from institutional churches. And I guess what we were interested in is not just saying, do you go to church, but what is your spiritual or religious experience, you know, do you pray regardless of whether or not you go to church? So understanding someone's religiousness is much more than whether they go to church. That's what this is so interesting with. My suspicion is, I think you have touched on something so important here, the glass half full or the glass half empty, and probably for every single person might be listening into our conversation today, you'd put a wedge down the middle and say there's there's half on this side and half on that side, because I think we're typically, aren't we, uh, either optimistic and maybe sometimes too optimistic, but oftentimes we can tend to have a pessimistic outlook too on, on church life and spirituality. So you've taken, I suspect, in making that analogy, uh, probably a more glass half full approach, uh, but some people will be doubting whether that's actually authentic. So give us some <laughs> insight here into your own personal view here, Ruth, because uh, I think we are going to talk about a glass half full, but this is an important <laughs> difference, isn't it, that people have? Look, I, I think you're right. Uh, I, probably what I need to say to be a good researcher is that my task is to give you credible, authoritative information about what actually is. And sometimes it's hard to look what is. And sometimes me as the messenger, it's a tough message to come to the church and to tell them things are, are you know, not as good as they were before. Young people are leaving or Australians are less connected. They are tough messages, but my commitment as a researcher is to be trustworthy to tell you what the real situation is. How, how we respond, I guess I am an optimist personally, uh, and I guess it's for me, I go, if you know what the real story is and it's based on good evidence, the real situation, that equips and allows us to respond faithfully, but with with some hope. And I think, you know, when, when, when the Bible says, you know, faith, hope and love remain, for me, that focus on hope. In times when it is tough, hope is so critical. Uh, the imagination of what could be, we hear what is, what could be. So, yes, you're probably right. I'm a glass half full person. <laughs> Well, what that means is uh, for listeners who want to be a part of our conversation today, some will be glass half empty and they might be the ones who might be calling in with a comment or a question to say, hey, can you clarify that, Ruth? Are you sure you said just what you said? So let's start with some of these things because uh, when I went through some of the detail, Ruth, I must say I was encouraged by the results. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about 
not just the spiritual profile of people in church. They already are spiritual people, I would say. But the spiritual profile of all Australians, how do the beliefs of all Australians look with the research you've done? Yeah, all right, let's start with the beliefs. So when I think about how religious a person is, you'll hear I'm already talking about how they believe, how they practice, what experience they have, what knowledge they have. So let's focus on belief at the moment. When you ask a question around, do you believe in God or some kind of higher power, more than half Australians say that they do. One in five say they don't know, and about a quarter say, no, I do not believe. So if you like, you've got your believers is about more than half of Australians uh, believe that there is a a higher power. Uh, One in five are agnostic, and a quarter are, let's say, you could use the term atheist. They say, I do not believe there's anything. So that's a perfect example. Is is about half. Is that good or bad? You know. Yeah. Uh, there's a. Let me just break this down and and play a little bit devil's advocate, uh, or take yeah. the pessimistic side for a moment, because if yeah. we say more than half believe in God or a higher power. Some yes. will say, uh, you've brought in this other dimension here, higher power. Maybe it's these Aussies responding, saying, I believe in God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Uh, any thoughts here on how you assess the fact that people are obviously spiritual, but what about the ones yes. who believe in the God of the Bible? Yeah, look, that comes when we break that group of um, believers that there is something beyond Um, a quarter of them are very confident there is a personal God and that would be the God of the Bible that that we would understand, which leaves three in ten who are going, look, there's something out there. Now, you can be disappointed by the fact that they're not convinced there's a personal God or you can say, that's fantastic. Another three in ten are saying, look, I believe there's something transcendent. What a great place and an easy place to start. Uh, to have those conversations. And then there's another quarter who say, look, I don't know. And I, again, would see that they are people who haven't closed their minds to the possibility of of God. Yeah. Can I throw in another one? Um, yes, yes. Which is another beliefs question. This was a disappointing one. So while I was an optimist, I've got to say I was shocked and disappointed. We asked a question about Jesus. And we just said, is do you think Jesus is a real, was he a real living person? We didn't ask about um, whether they thought Jesus was God or Jesus rose from the dead. We just said, did Jesus exist in history? Like Julius Caesar, like Shakespeare, you know, did Jesus exist in history? It shocked me to find that only half Australians said that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. About 20% thought he was mythical or fictional, and about 3 in 10 said they didn't know. Now, that's that's not even a case of whether you believe as a Christian. That's a case of, look, there is actually, and here's all the historians in the world say, even if they're not believers, they go, yes, there's so much evidence that Jesus lived in history at a certain time. There was a character, a human, called Jesus. Um, who did these things, who was known in the, you know, at that time. But Australians have lost that knowledge. That's not even about a belief. That's knowledge about Christianity. That's quite scary. So we've, we've lost knowledge 
what what I would call fairly basic knowledge about um, just the person of Jesus. Because as you and I would acknowledge, <clears throat> pardon me, Ruth, that there would be more historical evidence uh, for the physical person of Jesus than any other mm-hmm. character of antiquity. So, uh, so yes, coming back around the history there, there's a lesson mm-hmm. for us in that to be able to talk about the evidence mm-hmm. for the real Jesus. Hey, yes. there's something, though, you can intellectualize that, and when you talk history, you are intellectualizing that about the person of Jesus, but there's a powerful uh, result that you've got from your research where mm-hmm. six in ten Australians have had a mystical or supernatural experience because this takes these things to a whole new dimension, don't, don't they? I, I love that you've taken it there. This is really interesting, and this is one where we didn't talk about uh, we didn't put any language around it. This is a question that's asked in many surveys around the world as well. We'll be able to compare this to other countries. And so it's a bit clunky, the language, but it says, have you ever had a mystical or supernatural experience, either positive or negative, about which you have no doubts it was real? And I remember talking to my hairdresser about this, and she immediately said, oh, yes, I've had that. And you know what the thing is? She hadn't talked to anybody about it. And so in Australia, as you said, nearly six in ten say either I've had an experience or I know someone or I think it's possible. So there's this openness to, again, the other, sort of that there is another dimension, if you like, and maybe people are thinking about ghosts or some sort of, you know, haunted house thing or whatever, but they go... There's something beyond that I don't understand. Maybe it was a scary thing. Maybe it was a beautiful thing. Maybe I felt an incredible sense of peace in a time of crisis or who knows what it was, but that they are acknowledging six in 10 say, yep, there's something beyond the concrete every day. That I think, while we don't always have the language to talk about it, when you do, chances are that other people will say, you know what, I've, I know what you're talking about. That's happened to me. I have my own story of a, of a supernatural experience. Well, it is amazing that this is the experience of wider Australia. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a thought, you might have a question for our conversation today. Our special guest is Ruth Powell. Ruth is Director of National Church Life Survey NCLS Research. But we're talking wider spirituality across the Australian community. Ruth, reluctant to move on too quickly from talking about this really significant statistic about Australians and that mystical and supernatural experience because sometimes we like to reduce our Christianity to things that are not mystical or supernatural but that's just not the case clearly with the majority of Australians. How do you describe this mystical and supernatural understanding that typical Aussies have? Mm. Well I think it varies for different people and they will understand it in different ways. Can I tell you a personal story about one example? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some years ago, my father-in-law contracted motor neurone disease, which is a terrible disease. 
and he was really struggling with, um, you know, accepting the diagnosis and the fact that his life would be shortened. Uh, and he was a very faithful man. But one night, around Easter time, in fact, he woke up and he saw Jesus at the end of his bed. Jesus walked into his bedroom and he spoke to him and he, feels, he, he said, well, is it motor neurone disease or what? And afterwards, he felt very embarrassed that that was the first question he'd asked his Lord, you know. But it was the thing that was on his heart, you know. And Jesus stood there, and he was a mechanical engineer. And Jesus reached out and touched his foot where the, 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 he first felt uh, symptoms of the disease. And Jesus spoke to him. As a mechanical engineer, as he processed this the next day, he was going, would my wife have seen it if she'd woken up? Oh, Jesus then walked out of the room. So, and, and, and so my father-in-law was going, what just happened there? That was so real. I can describe what he looked like. I can describe what he sounded like. And I had a conversation with him. You know, but did that really happen, etc.? So he was trying to process it. Um, in the end, though, the impact of that, that encounter was that he was able to accept what was happening and his whole outlook on life changed and he was able to, to prepare for what was coming. So it was a life-changing event. When my husband shared this story with other people at work, sort of sitting around and, and sharing, my, my, my dad saw Jesus last night, Jesus visited my dad, you know. Um, <laughs> in the room, there were a number of other people who had never spoken about a similar experience but were able to share also stories of encounters that they with with you know Jesus or encounters that were this kind of supernatural experience and they each spoke about it as a life-changing moment that they'd kept very private often but yeah these are very powerful moments we often like to assess those sorts of stories uh, about supernatural experience uh, through a biblical view, and we try to make sense, uh, can this be right? Can this be something that's legitimate? And, uh, you know, it doesn't sort of fit somehow or other my biblical standard of how things happen, but there are lots of things that happen, spiritually mm. speaking, uh, beyond uh, what we can even try to adequately explain from a biblical foundation. But this is the reality, isn't it, across the board when you talk about mm. broadly Australians and their spiritual experience and they may be looking for someone to help them interpret that so how do you mm. think Ruth you know our our approach to those things might be uh, you know based on a biblical idea or uh, your church traditions any thoughts here around the spirituality here of churches and how we actually connect people who are having these sorts of supernatural encounters look I think one thing is uh, finding a language to speak about it, understanding that often it is very private, but sometimes it's, we don't have the words to speak about it. And it would be, I think, helpful for those of us who are more comfortable with the idea that there is a supernatural and that that supernatural can impact on you um, in ways that feel mystical, that are hard to understand. Giving some language or some words may be helpful to make it more normal to, to be able to speak about it maybe being courageous enough to share our own story um, to make it more everyday. But I think that in, across traditions and across however people think about these events, I guess my father-in-law's story has driven home to me what's 
important about it is what impact did this have on you, on on your on your life and person? You know, did it shift you? Did it change the way you see something? Do you feel, you know, so it's not the the mechanics of it. Was it a miracle? Did it really happen? In a sense, it doesn't matter. It's like, did it impact on you? And what was the impact of this experience on you? That's a conversation we can have no matter what we think about, you know, everything else, however we interpret what happened. I wonder if we've got this heritage of our Christianity in Australia that creates a plausibility around the way that people will have their experiences. And so having a vision of Jesus standing there at the foot of your bed uh, and knowing that he is right there in the midst of your trial or in your pain, your suffering that you're going through, uh, there's a certain sense here in which even without the Christian who appears with a proclamation of the gospel, there's enough that's going on in the fishbowl of Australian heritage and history and things happening right now that people are having experiences experiences and that may mm. be and I'm just speculating here something that leads Aussies to prayer because mm-hmm. I know that in your research prayer actually is much much more broadly accepted and is happening rather than what we think is just happening in a church well absolutely so another way we can think about a person's religiousness is their private religious practice and two a perfect example of that is prayer or meditation a stillness a time where you where you attend, um, you know, in a in a spiritual way, and we have discovered that six in ten Australians say that they pray or meditate, and what I was amazed at is three in ten do so at least once a week. So it's and that really is amazing part of the to life us. of Australians. Yeah, it is, and and hand in hand. Uh, with the supernatural and mystical experiences that people have because we might even assess prayer as one of those supernatural and mystical experiences. Not everybody has that when they're praying, but others see that dimension. When I'm praying, I'm talking to God. Therefore, it is a supernatural experience in itself. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Ruth, just a couple of minutes up to the news. We were talking about the supernatural practice of prayer and the way that the spirituality of Australians uh, is very much oriented, you might say, from the research to the idea of a mystical or supernatural experience. And we were just getting into how that uh, relates to the way we attend church and and, uh, people who, who are inspired to actually attend church and those who are not. What does the research tell us about the public practice of Aussies? Yes, um, going to religious services is something that has been declining over the last decade, since the 1960s, um, really plummeting. We've observed that it started to plateau uh, in the last few years. So in 2021, we can report that 21% of Australians, very conveniently, 21% attend religious services um, either weekly or monthly. So at least once a month are frequent church attenders. And so we've observed, in fact, in the last few years, the num- proportion of Australians who go to church has gone up a bit, up a bit, up a bit. In 2020, with COVID, it dropped. But we're encouraged that in 2021, we're back up to 21%. And it's been a while since we've been at 21%. So I guess there's possibly some good news for church people that there's a stability coming in 
to people going to church. It's part of the Australian uh, way of engaging and it's not declining like it used to be. So that's a bit of a good news story for the churches. Ruth, we're going to take some calls in just a few moments, but let me ask you first about the National Church Life Survey because this uh, was happening late last year and it's overflowed into this year. Uh, Some churches are still actually doing that survey. Give us a little snapshot on where we are with an update for the National Church Life Survey. Yes, I'm afraid the 2021 uh, National Church Life Survey is going to be like Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which actually happened in 2021, our 2021 survey is really happening in 2022. That's what COVID does. We, we really learned and listened to churches last year who, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria, were saying, look, we're still in lockdown. We're barely coming out. Christmas is coming. Please, this is not the right time. And we, we all agreed, let's, for most churches, push it over this year. So the message is for churches, if you've got your surveys, gear up, do them this month, get them back to us or do them as soon as you can, get them back to us. Um, We have 300,000 surveys out there at the moment in 3,000 churches, which is phenomenal. And we're just now waiting for them all to come back. So if you've got your surveys, do them when you can is message number one. If you haven't signed up, and we know there are churches out there that haven't yet, it's not too late. We would love you to sign up, 2021ncls.org.au. There'll be all the information about the survey. But it's the biggest in the world, the biggest survey of its kind, been running for 30 years. And I guess while it feels tough to have to sit down and do a survey at this moment, particularly our leaders survey, which is quite long. It's a big reflective survey about being a church leader. Um, But if you're asked to do it, generally it'll take about 20 minutes as a church attender to do the survey. And our, our church leaders are saying, please, it's now more important than ever that we listen to the voices of all church attenders, children included, people with other languages. So we translate to 10 different languages. It's so important because of the incredible disconnect that's happened due to COVID. It's so important. And this survey is being seen as a chance to reconnect our church communities, but also to go, now, what's going on? Where are people up to? So critical time. Love you to take part for the sake of your local church, but the sake of the whole church in Australia as well. It is a wonderful initiative, been going 30 years, and uh, it would be a shame to see a glitch somehow in the research. Mm. So uh, encouragement to get those uh, National Church Life survey surveys in. Hey, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Before we move on, let's hear from Wendy in Casino in New South Wales. Hi, Wendy. Hello, how are you, Neil? Good, Wendy. What are your thoughts for Good. what we've been talking about? But I'm very interested. I've just actually put out my um, autobiography called A Tale of Ten Towns. And in that book, um, I'm a retiree now, by the way, but I've looked back on my life and I've seen six different stages of my Christian walk through that. Through that and I've you know, catalogued it as in the story. But the, the six different stages, I was started out as a nominal Christian. At university, I became an atheist. And that turned into agnostic. Then I became a new ager. Then eventually I became a seeker, and eventually at 31 I was born again. 
Now, all of those different stages was the same person. Um, and I'm curious to know, um, when Ruth has done the study, um, has she taken ages into consideration? Wonderful. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Ruth, for Wendy? Mm, that's, that's really interesting, Wendy. And I think what you've highlighted is all we've got in this survey is a snapshot at a point in time. And I guess that's part of my optimistic view that when you see there's perhaps someone who says they don't know or unsure, in fact, they are, they are people that if you are wanting to encourage people to consider faith, people do go on a journey. They can move from stage to stage just because you're not sure whether God exists now doesn't mean that that can't change. And I guess there's an encouragement there for those who have faith to, to share their faith. Um, there is other work that's been done on sort of stages of faith or moving through different experiences through life. This particular survey is a snapshot. Um, we do look at differences, again, between um, older Australians and younger Australians. And perhaps surprisingly, there is deep spirituality amongst the younger Australians, perhaps more than we would expect. And that's encouraging as well. Wendy, thank you so much for your call. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for your biography, A Tale of Ten Towns. Uh, Wendy, thanks so much for your call today on 2020. Uh, the idea of a journey, as you say, Ruth, uh, we all start as infants and, you know, the new birth, a baby, in fact, and we grow up into maturity. You don't just, gr you don't just appear as a mature Christian. So uh, all of the ways that the survey actually take those snapshots along the way, it really shows us insight into the growing faith of a whole church community in Australia. It really is a powerful mm. insight like that. It is. And I think, it's, again, it's important to know that younger people quite often say they don't know, young adults particularly. So when you ask them a whole lot of questions, they will not say, I don't believe, I reject it. They just put themselves in this messy middle of, I'm not sure, I'm not close to it, but I'm not convinced about it. And I think that journey for them is important to, to acknowledge uh, that the door isn't closed. Um, so that, that, that's one thing to think about. Yeah. And so what more broadly across Australia, let's come back to the survey and broadly the spirituality of all Australians, not just those who go along to church, but there is some real optimism in the thought that because of this spirituality that there is in a substantial number of Australians, the, uh, the concept of inviting someone to church actually has more weight than we might think. We might think that our neighbours, oh, they would never darken the door of a church, but that's not really the case. What are the survey results showing us? Yeah, this is a, this is a real encouragement, I think. When you ask Australians, would you go to church if a close friend or family member invited you? And that's important. If, a, if someone you know invited you to a church service or some related event, would you go? Three in ten Australians say, yes, I would accept that kind of invitation. So around Christmas time, around Easter time, when you have particular events that are good excuses to invite people, definitely worth doing that. But part of our research found that it's not even those special events. Anytime they're saying, I would be willing to go if my friend or family member invited me. And when we ask them a little bit more to say, well, you know, 
why would you go? What would help you accept that invitation? What would make you warm towards such an invitation? The biggest reason was if I felt it was important to my friend or family member that I attend, I would go for their sake. And so I think the encouragement is be brave, ask your friend to come with you because if they value their relationship with you, which they will, they will go for your sake and that allows um, them to experience what is important to you. And I'm talking to church attenders here. To, to be brave because there's a more openness than you than perhaps we think. Because there's this broad spirituality, I wonder whether you, you can comment about the curiosity factor, because if people are saying, and if it's three in ten, say, yes, I'd attend church if I was invited by someone who was close to me, and perhaps there's an authenticity about that person and their invitation. But uh, this curiosity factor, do you think Aussies have already, in some sense, written off church because they think they know all about it, or is there a curiosity factor in so many that would say, yes, I'd be interested to find out what goes on behind those walls? Yeah, this was uh, some good work we did where we can group Australians into four clusters in terms of how they approach um, religion or spirituality. I'll say spirituality, but it's religion as well because they actually don't distinguish very much. People say, I'm a religious person or a spiritual person. It's not, not a, actually a big difference. And so we've discovered that there is about a quarter of Australians who you'd say, yeah, they're, they're religious people spiritual people. Uh, they practice, they go to church, they pray, they believe. So they've got the whole package going on, if you like. They've, 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 they're in. That's a quarter of Australians are in that category. Down the other end, there's 37%, nearly four in 10, who really say, I'm not religious, I'm not spiritual. I don't go, I don't practice, I don't pray, and I don't know anybody who goes to church which is a key thing. So they're very, that's very disconnected, very hard to connect with. There's a group in the middle, though, that is as big as the current church. There is another 25% who would describe themselves as moderately religious, but they just don't practice. So they have relationships, perhaps family members go to church. They you might have gone to church before when they were younger. Um, they haven't thrown it away. They haven't lost all their belief. They haven't, you know, they still recall their experience. They still probably pray. And so it's like if we've got a quarter of Australians who are really engaged spiritually, there's another quarter, which is half of all Australians, another quarter who are, who are saying, yeah, look, I'm moderately religious. I'm just not really practicing. And so my word back to the churches again is, don't don't you know maybe we're trying too hard to get to try and connect with people who have no relationship with us no history don't believe at all what about your friends and family who used to be connected your children who who you know you you may have faith and they may not be as warm towards faith but they're still connected with you start there and start sharing be brave enough to invite and sharing your faith with them because there is a warmth and openness there with at least a quarter of Australians who are leaning in, if you like.
Ruth, there's more detail coming out all the time on the research. What can you share with us about the sorts of factors that might encourage a connection with the local church? And mm. there are obviously there are those things that discourage, and uh, maybe we spend a lot yeah. of time talking about those sorts of things, but the encourages and the discourages. What are your thoughts? For sure. The things that encourage, the main thing that stands out, as I've already said, is I would come to church if I felt it was important to my friend or family member that I accept. I do it because of relationship, and it's always relationship, relationship, relationship that counts in terms of coming to church. A long way second um, to, to that factor is feeling that the church would be welcoming. If I was confident that I would be made to feel welcome, that would encourage me to come. So this is what Australians say. The next thing they would say is, if I see that the church is caring, that they're doing good works in the community, supporting vulnerable people. So Australians are looking for evidence that we practice what we preach. You know, is there the church being um, visible in the community doing good? And because that's a, that would help them accept an invitation. And then there's some other things which are much lower again where if it's convenient, um, I would, it would help me go if it was inclusive. Um, some people said if it was short and didn't take too much time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, That's right. They, they were probably the key ones. In terms of the challenges, the blockers, if you like, um, the biggest one is one that's been there for a number of years now and it's hard to hear, but it is what would discourage me, an average Australian, from coming to church are scandals in the wider church. And the particular example is child abuse by church leaders, which has had a horrific scourge. That continues to be a major blocker for Australians. We have lost trust, and rightly so, and that's going to take a long time to to rebuild. And interesting, isn't it, that there's always another scandal waiting in the wings uh, to be able to uh, be foisted on the Australian people. So in some sense, Mm -hmm. uh, this is like the norm for the sort of environment that church operates in today, that there will be all Mm -hmm. of the good things that church does. And as you say, you know, uh, building trust and helping and caring for people who are uh, disconnected or the poor or the downcast. Uh, But there's always a scandal waiting in the wings that someone who might be an opponent of church is going to bring to the fore. So somehow or other, this is the environment we live in. This is the environment we uh, work out our faith in. So you've got to be able to get used to that and and, uh, really even get a bit of a thick skin to some of the latest scandals. Any thoughts here? Because this is not an easy one and uh, nobody pretends... Uh, that you want to brush those scandals under the carpet but uh, because they're important to address as well. But somehow or other, you've got to have a thick skin, haven't you, Ruth? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, and I'll look, I'll name the other one that comes after the scandals one where they say the other thing that would discourage them is um, the stance of churches on social certain social issues and particularly same-sex marriage. So they name that again. It's, it's been a very public debate. It's been very clear that, you know, well, churches position themselves at all different points on the debate. Um, So there is a diversity out there, but Australians have, some Australians have a view that you are not inclusive, you are not accepting, and I don't want to go because because of that. I think in both these instances, 
it's the difference between, you know, what encourages versus what discourages someone to accept an invitation to church. The discouraging things are the things that are institutional. They are things that are in the system that, that have happened somewhere and create a reputational challenge, if you like, for the institutional church. The things that encourage are about local, personal and relationship. And I know when we did some work around um, particularly the issue of uh, abuse, uh, that people distinguished, you know, I don't trust the, the, the leaders, the bishops, the, you know, the presidents, whoever it is. I don't trust the church. Oh, but my local pastor, my local priest, he's fantastic. No, I trust him. So I think part of our key here is to make it local, make it personal. And when you tell your story about why your local church is important to you and why being part of a faith community is important, that has authenticity. Because you can't do anything about those big scandals. You can't do anything about their, the, the, the big picture, but you can do something about how you treat people in your personal relationships. And they say they know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Well, if we can show that locally and personally, that's probably... I think, the, the pathway through this challenge. And on those big social issues, as you say, around things like same-sex marriage, there's this need, isn't there, in churches to balance those things that won't change from the Bible uh, to those things which are uh, the work, the hands and feet of Jesus in the community that actually meets the needs of people. And uh, somehow or other, there might be a journey that people are on to appreciate the truth of Scripture, and uh, it's not going to change anytime soon, so it's something I guess we all have to work very hard at. Hey, uh, let's, uh, running short of time, a quick uh, thought or two here, uh, Ruth, on, on some of the ways that you might look at the Australian community, uh, the things that are, you know, we've been talking about spirituality, but let's talk about the well-being of people and just how stressed Aussies are, because some of this comes into your survey as well, um, yep. whether they have support. Uh, give us a little insight here, because time's running out, but these are important sure. factors to know how general Australians are feeling. Yeah, look, we did. We've been tracking over the COVID uh, period of the last two years very much, uh, not only the well-being of Australians, but again, how spirituality helps, um, how they see whether it helps or not. And so we found overall, we've been tracking how satisfied Australians are with, with life. And overall, they're, they're, they're doing pretty well uh, in terms of satisfaction with life. We asked them how stressed they were. So when we did this survey, which was November last year, um, when we asked this, we asked, how stressed have you been on a scale of 1 to 10 in the past month? And we're seeing that more than half Australians are moderately stressed. And those stress levels are higher than they were in November 2020 when we last did the survey. So a another year on, there's greater levels of stress among Australians. And there's lots of evidence of that. We are being worn down. We were encouraged, though, that when we said, do you have someone you can call on for help or support? Most Australians said that they did, which is, which is really encouraging. About a quarter don't, or they're not sure, um, but most do. So that's really critical. And again, a place where churches can play a role. Um, what, 
yeah, do you want to ask me any any other questions uh, well, or I can talk about the spiritual practices? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our time has run out, but I know that there'll be listeners who would love to get their own uh, copy of uh, how they got some results for the Australian Community Survey and uh, Mm -hmm. some who might be looking to find out what they can do even at the last minute with the National Church Life Survey. As you say, that COVID has caused a a delay there and it's becoming the 2022 National Church Life Survey. I didn't Mm -hmm. ask you earlier if it's too late for churches to even get involved because uh, obviously now time is tight on getting these results back in. But uh, for people who want some some detail on the results of this Australian Community Survey, uh, Ruth, where do they go? to get those? Yeah, look, the easiest way would be to go to our website, ncls.org.au, and sign up to our e-newsletter. Subscribe to our e-newsletter, and I know that um, a lot of these results uh, are going to be coming out in that e-newsletter very soon, um, and we'll probably put them out over the next few months. Um, if you, It's not too late to take part in the National Church Life Survey, and that website is 2021ncls.org.au. Wonderful, because uh, there's so much more to talk about. And for listeners who want to take this a little deeper, and uh, these sorts of results, so valuable for every single local church. And so for those who are in leadership roles, or those who can pass these on to people in their local church who are in leadership roles, certainly really invaluable. So uh, to be able to subscribe to that e-newsletter, ncls.org.au NCLS stands for National Church Life Survey and for those who are thinking well it's not too late to get involved in the uh, major snapshot survey the (laughs) National Church Life Survey 2021ncls.org.au and uh, as Ruth said there is a newsletter you can subscribe to Uh, Ruth, always wonderful getting your insights, and I wish we had another hour to talk today, but beautiful (laughs) things that you've been able to share. Just reflecting back to uh, the beginning of our conversation, a glass half full or a glass half empty, and I want to thank you for cutting through some of that and saying this is what the results say, and for people who want to look at those, interpreting those, how they look in their own lives, in their own communities, invaluable information. So Ruth Powell, Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.